Let's welcome our lead pastor, Charles, as he comes to speak this morning. All right. It's good to see you all. Happy New Year. You guys had a good holiday season. I hope uh, you enjoyed some time off or some break, some refresh, some restart. You know, this is a season, New Year is a season when you can look back, reflect on what went right, what could have gone better, you know, try to get a restart uh, on the new year, you know, New Year's resolution and all that, right? Any of you have New Year's resolutions? You know, like they say, you don't keep them, but we do it anyway, right? We think about what can go better. So in that spirit, as a church, too, we can do the similar things. We're starting a new sermon series called Gospel Reimagined. Because the idea is that, you know, there are some old ideas about faith and gospel that may have worked at one time, but things could have gone better. Don't you agree? Things, I mean, things like crusades, slavery, patriarchy, misogyny. There are some issues that have arisen throughout the history of church. Wouldn't you agree? And we could have done better, right? And so since we know that we could have done better, there are other ideas too that may be very prevalent today in our culture. But if we could get reset, get liberated into a freeing mindset and framework for faith, we could get so much more out of faith and life. So that's the idea behind this sermon series. Sounds good? Um, so as an example, I want to revisit the theme I brought up at the last Christmas sermon. Uh, that was a great service, right? It was so fun with the kids around. And, and uh, I introduced some concepts uh, that I want to revisit. Because I promised we would go deeper into that. And a lot of you really like this. Some of you probably haven't heard it. So let me just recap the main theme briefly as a setup to the sermon. So here it goes. So I talked about how the assumption in most people's mind about what faith is for, what church is for, what Christian discipleship is for, that is pretty much all about straightening out our crooked ways. That's just a, a catchphrase to kind of capture this idea that faith is there, church is there to help us correct our sinful parts, our flaws, things we could do better. You know, we all have them, right? And Christian discipleship is all about following the Bible, following Jesus as Lord and Savior. We fall short of God's standards. We are crooked. We got to straighten out, do better. That's kind of the general idea that most people have about what church is. Wouldn't you agree? So this idea that crooked things need to straighten out, that's a graphic 
representation of that idea. But this is not unique to Christian faith, right? Every religion and philosophy talk about this, about turning from evil, being good. It's just that every religion fights about who has better idea about how to do that, right? But it's all about this. And the uniqueness of the gospel, as the Bible would put it, that was rejected by the whole world, even by God's own people, would not be something that the whole world talks about and understands. That's the idea that the question I threw at you, that as the Bible, the beautiful passage in John chapter 1, that talks about coming of Christ as in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, Christ. This is referring to Christ. How the Word became flesh, dwelt among us. The light shines in the darkness. Darkness did not comprehend it. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own people, and God's own people did not receive him. Powerful passage about how we are all made by God, in God. We should know God, but when God came to us, even God's own people could not understand and rejected Christ. Yes? You know this passage, beautifully put. And so from this we can understand that the gospel is not easily understood and received even by God's own people who are so, so into straightening out the crooked ways and following the Bible. That's a mystery. And so the passage goes on to quote prophet Isaiah, prepare the way of the Lord, make ready a highway for our God. Every valley must be lifted up, Every mountain and hill must be made low. Talks about how we have to prepare our hearts to even understand the gospel. And the metaphor it uses is that mountains must be made low and valleys must come up. That that must be there. It's a prerequisite to understand and receive the gospel. Right? Now, what's interesting about this is that this is not the right metaphor for straightening out our crooked ways. It's more turned, right? It's that S-curve turns. And low parts have to come up and the high parts have to come down. So it flattens out. It's, 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 it's not about straightening out. It's about flattening out. <laughs> You get that? That that's the choice. The which one is going to be the focus of church and faith to receive the gospel? Is it straightening out the crooked or is it flattening out the highs and lows? I propose that the Bible teaches us that it's about flattening it out. And that's why it was so hard for the world to receive this. Because the world knows all about 
being the good guys, turning from evil. The world talks about that all the time, especially church and God's own people. But flattening out, now that's something that's hard <laughs> for the world because the world runs on hierarchy. Even church runs on hierarchy, right? Pastors are on top. I'm up here, right? You know, higher than you guys. Uh, you have to listen to me. Missionaries, good people, good Christians are in. Worthless non-Christians are going to hell. This is all low and high. This is flattening all that out. That's not going to go over easy. Especially in church. Now we understand why Christ was rejected by God's people. Because he came preaching something that was difficult. Allergic, in fact, to the church. So... We have to decide what is our focus is going to be. If we want to understand the gospel or the light from God, receive the light from God, and benefit from it. What will be your focus this year? Will it be focusing on your flaws and straightening it out? And that's a good thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. But what is the focus of faith? This is a choice we must make. So, we will be spending some time in the coming weeks to talk about how all this looks different with gospel reimagined. If your focus is on flattening out, then what practical difference does that make? What does it look like? We're going to be pushing into this theme. Sounds good? Um, so, we will begin today with a question that always comes up when I talk about something like this, like flattening out or unconditional love of God. The question comes up, then how do you motivate yourself? If there are no highs and lows and we're trying to flatten out, if your low parts get lifted up and the high parts get flattened out, then what motivation is there for you to get to a better place? Do you know what I'm saying? How do you motivate people to behave and behave good if it's all the same? What reward motivation mechanism is there? Actually, this has been a problem forever for the church since the beginning. This, this conflict between grace versus works. I don't know if you heard of this, but every Protestant church believes that salvation is by grace alone, not by works. Have you heard that phrase? Salvation is by faith alone, grace from God, not by works. Not what we do, it's what Christ has done. Christ has finished all, right? Now, I'm going to let you in on a little church secret, management church secret, as someone who runs a church. This message, even though we all profess it and believe in it and sign on to it, it is very hard to run a church on this message. Guess why? Because church needs money. Money. 
church needs volunteers. Yes, salvation by grace, God's grace, love, all good, 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 fine. But what's going to pay the bills? You know what I'm saying? If you guys don't donate, if you guys don't volunteer, if you guys don't do anything because it's all God, God does everything, then, you know, like how do I get paid? <laughs> you see my predicament as a pastor? This is a problem for everyone who runs a church. You see that, right? So what do you get? You get schizophrenic church. That's what you get. So one week you come and you get this message. It's all by grace. Jesus did it all for you. Hallelujah. Amen. And then the next week it's all, Jesus died for you. What have you done for him? Especially lately, you lazy bums, you know, come on, get out and give more, do more. Anybody familiar with this? Like, it's just like, it's enough to give you a whiplash. It's like, you know what I'm saying, right? You're familiar with this. A lot of abuse can come from church practices, trying to motivate people to behave and give more and do more. Saying things like, there's a special place in heaven for you, you know? You write, you write your name in the front pew, we'll engrave it. Just give a lot of money, right? Like you, they, they create hierarchy as if there are levels of heaven and hell. Yes, salvation is by grace alone, but if you do more, then, then you get to like a better place in heaven. You heard of seven circles of hell and heaven? Like there are higher, there are rankings. That's how you can get motivated. B.S., right? Where is that in the Bible? Where is seven circles of heaven in the Bible? I challenge you, you will not find it. Cracks in the theological foundation can lead to ruinous church practices. A lot of abuse happens because of church needing to squeeze people out of their money. A lot, from obvious to subtle. A lot of abuse. So let's not do that. We're not going to go there in this church. You know, life is too short to use church to make money. There are many other ways to make money. <laughs> so then, what's the motivation to be good and do God's work? How is this church going to survive? and be a community as an entity. What, what's in it for me? What's in it for you to volunteer, to be part of a church? What's the motivation? Great question. I like to know myself. <laughs> so today, let's look at a teaching from Jesus about how reward and motivation work and look like in the kingdom of God. Jesus actually addressed this issue. In the book of Matthew, he taught, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. This is, you know, landowner, vineyard, workers, this is always God is the landowner. <laughs> 
God is the master. Workers are us. And the vineyard is God's kingdom or the world where we do our good works. Okay? That's very obvious, right? He agreed to pay them all a denarius for the day. That's a unit of money. It's the usual day's wage at the time. And sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon and did the same thing. And about five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? No one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, six o'clock, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired, going on the first. So the ones that were hired last got hired at 5 p.m. The first ones, they started working at 6 a.m., right? The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they started working at six, they expected to receive more, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the, uh, the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Isn't this a weird story? It's not fair, is it? If you're like me, it should make you uneasy. I mean, is God a communist? Right? I mean, how does this work? Communism doesn't work, does it? It just fell apart because people don't do any work if you work like this. If God in heaven is like this, where is the motivation to do God's work? Why not, why not be selfish and bad all your life? And the moment before you die, a month before you die, in your 80s, you say, I repent. I'm going to be good God. I'll be, you know, a Christian. And then you go to heaven and get the exact same reward as a missionary who worked all her life since her youth, for God, you get the same treatment. What, what, why? What, what's in it then to do any good work, right? What the heck? Excuse my language. This is not, this is not a popular passage for pastors like me. You know, I worked for God since my youth, you know, uh, if I read and taught things like this, it's like, have I been a fool? A sucker, like Trump would say? You know, have I been just a sucker all my life? 
What is going on? Don't you think? It's a difficult passage. And I say it's difficult because we think of God's reward as extrinsic. There is this idea that we all have. Like we suffer on earth, we do good work, and then God rewards us with heaven. Uh, you know, different fun things in heaven, whatever it might be. If that's how God's reward works, then yeah, this is a very problematic passage. But the problem goes away if God's reward or matters of faith is more intrinsic and naturally flows and connected. There is a difference between intrinsic and extrinsic reward. Let me try to explain this. If you learn how to add 1 plus 1 equals 2 in pre-K and you get a candy for reward, that's extrinsic reward. That's arbitrary because it could have been a chocolate, could have been extra time on Xbox, could have been anything, right? It's not connected intrinsically and naturally to the learning itself. It's just arbitrarily given to you from outside. That's what it means, extrinsic. The intrinsic reward is that now you know how to add. That's going to come in handy throughout your life. Which reward is greater, a little candy or the ability to add throughout your life? The intrinsic reward is connected to learning itself. It naturally flows. You see that? You know, you learn how to add. Reward is knowing how to add. It's connected. <laughs> it's not arbitrary. It's like exercising. Nobody gets paid a million dollars for exercising regularly, right? There's no extreme. The, the reward of exercise is that you feel better, your body feels better, you live longer. It's intrinsic, naturally connected to exercise, right? Nobody's, that's why nobody says, why exercise now? I'll exercise right before I die when I'm in my 80s. <laughs> I mean, they'll be like, are you stupid? That's not how this works, you know? Does that make sense? It's like that with God and matters of faith. It's not arbitrary. Reward from God, matters of faith, it's naturally connected, intrinsic. So what is the reward of faith? The gospel declares that you are worth the life of God incarnate. Believing in that is your faith. That is the denarius everybody gets. That's the reward itself. If you had faith in this, there's going to be tremendous reward that comes to you are worth the life of God incarnate. And that flattens everyone's worth. Everyone gets the same thing, the life of God incarnate. That's the denarius. If you really believed it and took it in, there's no high part, things that you're proud of, that you can point to and say, that's what makes me 
worthy, or at least worthier than all those losers out there. Or the low parts that make you ashamed and worthless. You cannot hold on to that if you're worth the life of God incarnate. It's as if someone sends you a trillion dollars. Someone wires you a trillion dollars into your bank account. And you go out and you work hard and you made $200 that day. So you come back and you say to God, God, I made $200. I worked so hard for you and got $200. And, and I like, great. Isn't this great? I'm better than everybody else. And God's going to go, did the money come? Did you get the trillion dollars? <laughs> right? I mean, did it hit your account? Did you, did you check your account? Did it really come? Because who cares about $200, right? If somebody, well, let alone trillion dollars, if somebody sent you a billion dollars, or you won the mega jackpot, and you got billion dollars, are you going to really care about that day you made the $200 by working? You're not going to care, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't, doesn't add or subtract, right? The gospel humbles us. It makes nothing out of every high part we are so proud of. And it makes everything out of who you are, including the low parts that you are ashamed of. Everything that makes up who you are, you are worth the life of God incarnate. That's like receiving trillion dollars in the bank account. This is why the passage concludes the last will be first and the first will be last. It's all flat. Some, many people draw moralizing lessons from this. The last is first. So you have to be humble. So you just go around and you go, I am the last, I am the last. I will take the lowest seat because we all want to be first. You know what I'm saying? At least pretend to be the last because you want to be first. Well, that just makes a mockery of this teaching, doesn't it? No, the point is, it's all flat. It's not that the last is first, so be last, so you can be first. I mean, what the heck? That's just going back to the hierarchy again, <laughs> right? The gospel makes nothing and everything out of all of us. We have to take this in. And if you take this in, the trillion dollar hits your account. The benefits start flowing immediately. Your worth is secured. So you feel less anxiety. Because your lows don't crush you anymore. What do you have to worry about? And you're not so obsessed about uh, getting those highs. It, it doesn't mean your worth gets... I mean, it's nice to have these things so you can go for it. I go for nice things in life. It's nice to have nice things. But it doesn't mean that my worth is on the balance. So I don't go crazy. I don't have to go crazy over these things. You get more freedom to be yourself. Because it doesn't, like these highs and lows don't grab you and choke you every second of your life. And your good works will flow out of this conviction. If you believe that every single person around you is worth the life of God incarnate, then you will treat them with respect. You will not demean them. You will feel like Stealing or hurting them 
because you want to benefit would seem stupid to you. Because we are all worth so much. Why would you do that? Patriarchy will seem repulsive to you because it puts different groups of people higher than other people. That would feel like anathema, completely opposed to what you believe at your core. Misogyny will become impossible for you. Slavery will become like, oh my God, why would you put some groups of people in that category? You would have known slavery was wrong even a thousand years ago when everybody, including the church, supported slavery. You would know it was not God's will. Right? Because it flattens everyone's worth out. You, the light of God will shine from you, through you, in you. Your life will just become so much better. And that's why... The earlier you get it, the better it is. Working in the vineyard is working out of this conviction. And if you have worked out of this conviction from your youth, well, you benefited. You are the one who benefited. You don't go to God and go, oh, you know, it's not fair. Yeah, it's not fair. You got it early. So it was in your favor that you got it early. You get that? So let me give you some practical suggestions on getting in on this. Develop a prayer life around flattening your self-image. Don't, don't get so focused on your prayer life about, oh God, you know, I'm so sinful. I got this problem, I got that problem. God already knows, okay? God knows everything that is wrong with you. You don't have to inform God as if it's new information to God. God is so much more aware of all that's wrong with you than you are. So you don't have to like go like, oh, you know, I have to tell you. God's like, I, it's already, you know, Christ died for, you know, that's already like, we already worked on this. Christ died for you on this one, you know, that's done. So focus more on letting go of your highs and lows because all sin flows from that anyway. Why are we sinful? Because we want the high and we're so insecure about the lows. So that's why we do all this stupid stuff that's bad for us. Right? Go to the root. Highs and lows are what leads to sin. So flatten it out. Be more secure in your worth. Ask God. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you up with agape love of God that lifts you up from the low and take you down from the high. God will do it. This is one prayer God will always answer <laughs> because God is agape. Ask God to fill you up with agape. God will come fill you up and help you secure your mind and heart in God's love for you and God's value for you. Amen? Second, try to like figure out if the environment you are in is really toxic. 
in terms of flattening out your worth. And try to like, I mean, you can't escape it. The world runs on this. So you have to live in this, but realize you need some detox periods and detox areas. We are like alcoholics living in a liquor store. Okay? It's not a good environment out there. Like in your jobs, at your home. Like just try to gauge how toxic is this job, for example. I mean, you have to perform in your job or you'll get fired, right? I mean, that's how it works. And that is fair. Someone pays you, you do have to perform. But does it get to the place where it's toxic, that you get demeaned? It's just so much all about your performance that you don't even feel like a human being anymore. They just make you feel like a cog in the machine. And it's all about your performance, your highs and lows. And you just can't even have a second to think. And you lose your dignity as a human being. That's tough. You have to really think through what kind of cost you are paying in your soul to be in that environment. And judge. Is it really worth it if it's that bad? You know what I'm saying? And try to get some detox along the way. Because you have to make it through all this. Right? So it's helpful to have a supportive environment, a supportive community reminding each other of your fundamental worth in God's eyes. God values you as equivalent to the life of God incarnate. We need a reminder. This is why the Bible tells us don't stop, keep meeting. You have to be reminded because the whole world ranks you in hierarchy every day second. So you need a bit of a toxic-free zone, ranking-free zone, where you have some group of people. It's like the, you know, that, that song about Cheers, that TV show. You, know, you love to go where everybody knows your name, you know that. That somehow spoke to people's hearts. Why? Because we have that need deep inside us where we are seen who we are, where you are seen as beautiful and valuable and wonderful and marvelous, created in the image of God, beautiful in the eyes of God. With all your flaws, here you are seen, your fundamental worth. And that's why it's not enough to just come and go and listen to sermons like a lecture. If it's about straightening out the crooked, yeah, maybe you just get tips on how to like straighten out yourself and you work on it. But if it's about flattening out, if that's what gospel is really about, that's why church is important. That's why getting to know one another and being in a community where you get reminded of your worth that's the point of this church. Amen? We have a membership class starting uh, next week. If you haven't taken it, or if you've taken it before, but would love to just come and chat and be reminded of all this, come. It's upstairs, right after church. We get you good food. And we talk, I talk for a little bit. 
And then you get to ask questions, and it's just for three weeks, and you get to decide whether this is the kind of thing you want to be part of. So think about that. And today we have chat with pastor. You just come, talk to me, ask questions, and we'll just keep talking about this stuff. And like, what does this all mean? And how do we grow in this? And by the way, membership class doesn't mean that you're committing to be a member. There is no... None of that here in this church. You just come and do what you want. And you can go and come because it's all about God's love. Right? So let's push into this. Let's establish our hearts and minds in the depth and the height and the width and the length of love of God in Christ in you and for you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you are not ranking us. You are not putting us in a hierarchy. That all we get is the same, denarius. It's all the same. It is the life of God incarnate, Christ himself, and there is nothing more you can give us than that. There is nothing bigger. There is no higher, more special reward that can come than the life of of God. Thank you, God. You have given us everything you could give us. And that's it. And we thank you for this message. Help us. Help us to live out of this conviction. Live out of receiving this great gift, knowing our worth. In Jesus' name, amen.